it's leaking and you're freaking plug it up plug it up plug it up hello and welcome back to plug it up a horror podcast about the monstrous feminine i'm your host caitlin grant We've been exploring all sorts of tropes within the monstrous feminine, including monstrous menstruation, which deals with coming of age and horror, as well as monstrous motherhood, which looks at the horrific side of pregnancy, birth, and parenting. And we're also looking at the monstrous feminine in horror in general. Although we talk a lot about the experiences and portrayals of women, this show is gender inclusive and open to folks of all gender identities and presentations. Today on the show, I've got one returning guest and one new guest. First up, we have Maddie from the Ginger Snaps and What Lies Below episodes. Maddie, good to have you here. Hi there. Good to have you back. Uh, good to be back, Caitlin. Stateside and on the show. Oh my God. Wow. Dreams do come true. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a new guest, uh, Matt. Matt is joining us from Chile. Hey guys, how are you doing? So excited to have you here. I go back and forth between pronouncing it chili and chile and i know you do too so which makes yeah. me like validated <laughs> yeah it's really hard not to sound really snobbish when you talk about any <laughs> of these countries so yeah, i i yeah i try to say it like the gringo version like chili but sometimes i will say chile and have people roll their eyes at me and I usually get the opposite. Like one time I was talking in a group and I said that I lived in Chile and the guy was like, I think it's pronounced Chile. And I was like, asshole, I fucking lived there. I know. Like, <laughs> so you can't win. No. And you also speak very good Spanish, though. The guy should have known. I used to. I don't know. I haven't used it in a while. But I mean, enough that you could have told him to go fuck himself and he wouldn't have known. Right. That Probably. I could do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, don't mansplain to me, asshole. I live there. <laughs> well, this is, uh, in my heart, a much anticipated episode because we are covering Hereditary. Hereditary is an awesome monstrous motherhood movie, and I'm really excited to be digging in with y'all. For those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, Hereditary is a 2018 horror movie by director Ari Aster. He had done some short films before, but Hereditary was his first feature film. And I can't imagine being so talented that Hereditary is your first movie. That's like an incredible accomplishment. As far as our cast, we've got Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne, Millie Shapiro, and Alex Wolf as our main cast. And this was distributed by our friends at A24. Love an A24 movie. And as far but as we all, we, I, I just, people are like, oh, A24 is so snobby. And I'm like, <laughs> give me more. Ready to see the okay. lamb. <laughs> As far as plot goes, what we have is a horrific family drama, more or less. So the movie opens with the Graham family in Utah. The parents are Annie and Steve Graham. Annie is an artist who specializes in miniatures, which we see throughout the movie. And her husband, Steve, is a psychiatrist. They have a son named Peter, who is 16, and a daughter named Charlie, who is 13. We see the four of them preparing for the funeral of Annie's mother, Ellen. And from the eulogy Annie delivers, we can tell that the two of them had a fraught relationship and that Ellen was very private and perhaps a little disturbed. There are a lot of people at the funeral that Annie doesn't know. And we get the sense that Ellen had a life, uh, a full life beyond her immediate family. We later see Annie go to a bereavement support group where she shares more about her mother. 
She said that when Peter was born, she and her mother were not speaking, so her mom didn't really have access to Peter. But when Charlie, her daughter, was born, the mother was very involved. We also learned that mental illness runs in Annie's family. Ellen, her mother, had dissociative identity disorder, which is often called split personality disorder. Her father had psychotic depression and died by starvation, a suicide. Her brother had schizophrenia and also died by suicide after claiming that their mother had tried to put people inside him. Annie's own family, however, seems fairly normal up until this point. Charlie is a little unusual. She's very quiet. She fixates on drawing as well as assembling little trinkets and inventions. She wears oversized sweatshirts and doesn't have much interest in friends. And we also learned that she has a severe nut allergy and quite the sweet tooth. She also has an unusual tick of making a clucking sound with her mouth like this. Peter is a normal 16-year-old boy. Uh, he likes to smoke weed with his friends. He has a crush on a girl at school, and he's just a normal dude. Uh, he plans to go to a party, and Annie instructs him to take Charlie with him. Neither Charlie nor Peter seem thrilled about it. Uh, they don't dislike each other, but they just know that the party isn't really Charlie's scene. Regardless, they listen to Annie, and they take one of the family cars to the party. Peter wants to smoke in another room with the girl he likes, so he encourages Charlie to spend her time drawing and to get a slice of chocolate cake that some of the other partygoers have made. We learn that there are nuts in the cake, and Charlie is allergic, so she starts to have an anaphylactic reaction where she's unable to breathe. Peter carries her to the car and races to the nearest hospital. Charlie, desperate for air, leans her head out of the open window, and while her head is out of the window, Peter swerves to avoid a deer in the road, and shockingly, Charlie's head hits a telephone pole, which instantly decapitates her. In shock, Peter slowly and silently drives home and gets in his bed without saying anything to anyone. We see that he hasn't slept, and he's almost catatonic. The camera lingers on his blank face as we hear Annie get into the car outside the next morning. We hear, but don't see her, discover Charlie's decapitated body in the car. She wails in shock, and the wailing doesn't stop as we see them bury Charlie and Annie continue to grieve. The family is severely fractured by Charlie's death. Peter feels immensely guilty about the accident, and Annie becomes unwittingly resentful towards him. Steve tries to hold the family together, especially after a severe argument at dinner where we get an iconic monologue from Tony Collette. Annie drives back to the support group, but doesn't go inside. She's waved down by another woman from the group whose name is Joan. Joan tells Annie that she lost a child and grandchild and that she'd be there to support Annie if she needed a friend. Annie confides in Joan that she and Peter had always had a bit of a strange relationship, that she sleepwalks, and once while sleepwalking, she doused the kids and herself in paint thinner, and she and Peter both woke up to her lighting a match. It was an accident, but clearly a trauma that Peter has not forgotten. Eventually, Joan convinces Annie to try a seance. She explains that she talked to her grandson through said seance and insists that Annie try it too to talk to Charlie. At home, grieving and lonely, Annie tries the seance, eventually waking up Steve and Peter to join her, and the seance appears to work. Flames shoot up, a glass moves around and breaks, and Annie seems to become possessed by Charlie's frightened spirit. Steve ends the seance by throwing water on Annie, but at this point, Peter is horrified and inconsolable. At school, Peter's dissociated and scared, feeling that a presence is after him. And after seeing Charlie's old sketchbook fill up with drawings of Peter being harmed, Annie goes to Joan for help, thinking the seance brought in a malevolent presence. However, Joan is nowhere to be found. As viewers, though, we see an interior shot of Joan's apartment containing a photo of Peter and evidence of a ritual around said photo. At school, invisible forces seem to overcome Peter, and he slams his face into his desk, breaking his nose. 
Steve brings Peter home where Annie is already hysterical. After looking through her mother's things, she sees that Joan was friends with Annie's mom and that her mom was involved in a cult where either Peter or Charlie or both were promised as vessels for Paimon, one of the eight kings of hell. She and Steve also discover the beheaded body of Annie's mother in their attic. Steve assumes Annie has had some sort of psychotic break and that she was the one who dug up Ellen's body. Annie tries to convince him of what's happening to their family spiritually, but he will not hear it. Annie throws Charlie's haunted sketchbook in the fireplace, which magically and immediately catches Steve on fire, and he burns alive. We see a light move over the shocked Annie's face, and she becomes possessed herself. Later that night, Peter wakes up in his room where he's been resting and recovering from his injury. The camera pans out to show his dark bedroom, and we see Annie hovering in the corner of his ceiling, still in the darkness. Silently, she crawls through the air out of the bedroom, and we hear a piano crash downstairs. Peter goes to investigate when he sees the overturned piano and the charred remains of his father. He also sees several naked cult members around his house, and then he's chased by the possessed Annie up into the attic, where he tries to hide. Cult members are up there as well, and Annie's possessed body also appears. She's floating in midair with a piano wire around her neck, wide-eyed and sawing at her neck. Peter jumps from the attic window and we hear Annie's head and body thump to the floor. Outside, we see Peter's body on the grass where the moving light settles on him and he wakes up making the same clucking sound that Charlie used to make. He goes into the treehouse where the naked cult members, Annie's headless body and Ellen's headless body, bow in reverence to a sculpture of Paimon, complete with Charlie's rotting decapitated head. Joan addresses Peter as Charlie, letting him know that Paimon is happy to have found this new male host. And the movie ends with the cult shouting, hail Paimon in unison and the camera lingering on Peter's face. Whoo, the decapitation movie of all decapitation movies, hereditary. <laughs> Ari Aster will like explore the complexities of human relationships, but he will make you look like inside of a human head to do it. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand percent. Um, I, I have super distinct memories of my first time seeing this uh, as well as my first impressions, but I want to hear from you guys first. And Maddie, we'll start with you. When when did you first see Hereditary? Did you see it in the theater? And what did you, what do you think too, overall? I was too scared to see it in the theater. <laughs> um, so my sister came home from college and we watched it in our parents' living room. And even with the lights on with other people there, I... The, by the end of the movie, I was like standing up by the couch, like screaming, not like like shrieking, but just like, oh, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I don't, there has been, there are very few movies I've ever, not just horror movies, like any that's ever affected me like immediately in the moment, like Hereditary does. And it, it, like you said, it's just so incredible. That was his first like major film ever, like insane. Yeah, it's super impressive. He, uh, he goes places. Yeah. Have you seen The the Strange Truth About the Johnsons? I knew you were going to ask that. And uh, it is, yeah, it's rough. I know what happens. So upsetting. Uh, So I think a lot of his like, oeuvre, oeuvre, I I don't want to say that word, please cut it out. Oeuvre, oeuvre, thank you. Uh, Makes sense when you take the acceleration. Like, oh, this is the shit he was doing before he popped out Hereditary Midsummer. Yeah, he's got a, uh, he loves a trauma. <laughs> is, is that one also like a family trauma kind of movie? Yes, like, like, the, the ultimate like one? family trauma. <laughs> it's one that okay. I, I know what happens in it because I read the, you know, spoilers of it. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that one. <laughs> yeah. 
But if you ever think you're having too good of a day and have like 15 minutes to kill, <laughs> it's on YouTube. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because it yeah, is it is short. Yeah, it, it's a short film. Yeah. It's, it was like his senior thesis. I could be completely making that up. But, Jesus uh, Christ. Something like I, that. I think you're right. I read the same thing. I think it's his senior thesis. Mm-mm. Very precocious. <laughs> <laughs> the little stinker. <laughs> oh well, well, Matt. When did you first see Hereditary, and what do you think overall? I I, I first saw it in the theaters um, alone um, <laughs> because. Well, the first thing is that if you see it, I, I live in Chile, as we said, and it's kind of ruined. The Spanish title ruins the movie a little. It's called The Legacy of the Devil in Spanish. <laughs> so that kind of ruins the movie. So uh, it's not as good when you when you have all that that information that obviously heredity doesn't give you, hereditary doesn't give you. But um, I saw it alone in a movie theater and I live in a very Roman Catholic country and my mother-in-law was very disturbed I was going to see this movie because I was going to see it and her, my mother-in-law, my wife, and my brother-in-law went to go see like Kung Fu Panda 3 at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I, uh, I went to go see it and before I saw it, it was very funny because this, this woman, I, I, it was like, you know, much earlier when I had met a, before I was married or whatever was like, there's something wrong with your boyfriend, Maria Paz. There's something terrible wrong with this person. Why does he want to see this movie? And I was like, ah, it's fine. But, but no, I saw the movie and uh, on, on the big screen alone, it's, it, was, it was absolutely terrifying. It really was. Um, I think for, you know, about this movie is that, you know, definitely it's so tightly done. There's so much foreshadowing. There's so much hint dropping. There's, it's constantly giving you information if you're paying attention. Obviously, if you see it two or three times, it becomes very obvious. So the only thing that's a little unfortunate about rewatching is that the hints are kind of heavy-handed after you watch it a few times. But it's very interesting how tightly he made it. And I wanted to actually include a quote from Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito is one of the uh, heavily involved in A24. I don't know exactly what he does. Is he the... He's Big Daddy in Chief, I think. Is his official official title. Happy in Chief. (laughs) Yes. And he says about Ari Ari Aster in this movie that... And I think this kind of really sums up the movie and about Ari Aster and his, his oeuvre, as we were saying before, is horror usually comes from the inside of the person who makes it. Whatever those fears are, Ari has a certain closeness to his work. Sometimes the real things that go on in your life are pretty horrific stuff. And I think that really sums up this movie is that, you know, you have the family drama that is fucking terrifying. That part is scared on itself. And then you have the juxtaposition of supernatural terror. And I think, you know, he mixes the real and supernatural. And this movie, the supernatural is real, but... The juxtaposition is, is 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 quite incredible. How it's just you know one part is just real life terror, and the other part is, I guess it depends on your perspective, but supernatural, whatever you want to call it. But it's pretty incredible. It's I mean it's a movie you'll never forget if you see it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's usually the way I describe it to people is that it wasn't like anything I'd ever seen before, even though it hits a lot of the same sort of supernatural beats that conventional horror movies do. When you have the layer of the family drama slash trauma on top of it it's like mm, it's going to go places that you wish it didn't and you're not going to forget it <laughs> definitely and i think it's kind of one of the it's you know it's terrifying because you know we're going to talk about mental health but this movie it doesn't matter if you have people with mental health issues in your in your family everybody knows mental health is very fragile and this movie really pounds at home that your mental health is 
very, very fragile. And it's it's absolutely terrifying. You feel terrible for days after watching this film. <laughs> I really like that it touches on these mental illness issues without stigmatizing them and without making them sort of the catalyst of all the things that go wrong, because it's it's certainly a part of it, but it's not like we're stigmatizing it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think grandma in a cult is actually in the DSM. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I'll have to double check. <laughs> DSM five, where are you at? I I love hereditary. I remember seeing the previews for this and being so excited. And a friend of mine was coming to visit that weekend from out of town. And she is like decidedly not a horror person. But I was like, I'm so glad you're coming. We do have to go see Hereditary. Though. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's opening weekend. We're just like, we have to go. I'm so sorry. And uh, I went with her and my boyfriend at the time and my brother. And we went and I was just like, like eyes wide peeled at the screen. And we were in a pretty full theater because it was opening weekend. And there were We'll get into it when we get into scenes and stuff like that. But there were moments where like the audience, like collectively, everybody's like you could like hear people's stomachs dropping. You could hear like like people's breath leaving their body. It was definitely an experience I won't forget. Um, And it's one that scared me. I've seen a lot of horror. It's something I watch every day. But I was like looking in the corners of my ceiling at night like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like it's legitimately scary. And and I love that. I also think that before we get into it, we can all agree that Tony Collette deserved an Oscar for this. This was fantastic. <laughs> She'll get one I, like I, two years from now for like playing like a, another grooving mom, but it'll not be horror and like it'll really be for hereditary. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> which I'm cool with. Definitely. I mean, she was so fantastic. And I think the other thing that that I, I think she says her mom has the idea or disassociative uh, per, uh, identity disorder, but. She totally has it in the movie too, where she's changing between various personalities. Like she has like a like a kind of like a, a petulant teen personality. She has like a normal Annie, and then then just like a totally malignant, malevolent like uh, Tony, always under the surface. Like you know, obviously in the famous scenes when she says like you know, obviously terrible fucking things <laughs> to her family. <laughs> but she plays like three or four characters in the movie. It's pretty incredible to watch her. And it's better every time. You actually notice more every time. It's, it's She's amazing, that movie. Yeah, she portrays grief and fear and a whole lot of really intense emotions really well. I have a little bit of trivia for us at the end about sort of the making of this, and I'll get more into it then. But I think she had said prior to this, like, I don't want to do any more horror. Mm-hmm. But the script was too compelling to pass up, and there were some things she had to do to keep herself, like, level uh, while working through such dark subject matter. Uh, Well, we'll get into some themes and scenes and trivia and all that good stuff. Uh, The first one I wanted to talk about uh, was mental illness. And Matt, you you got us started there. But I I like that we get a good look here at how mental illness affects not just a single person, but an entire generation of family when it comes to trauma that maybe might stem from that. And I like that no one's mental illness here, like I said, causes the possession or anything like that. It's not stigmatized, but it really opens the possibilities. Like, you know, once you've sat through a couple of viewings of it and you hear her in that loss support group talking about how her brother had had schizophrenia and thought his mom was putting people inside of him. It's like, well, uh, maybe he didn't have schizophrenia because she definitely was trying to put Paymon and other entities inside. No, of she him. totally was trying to do that. I mean, yeah. I, I think that's kind of like the conclusion of the movie that yeah. that's what she was trying to do her whole life was fill people with bad, with bad juju. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I think at its core, this movie is about, well, grief, which I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> later, but also just like what happens to a family when you refuse to work on your issues and your traumas and no, it won't go away. Maybe you get out of this life, but it's just going to keep going down the line. Annie was, is a quote, like, I think one of the first lines she says when they get back to the house is like, should I be sadder? Or is there something wrong with me? So she's a quote unquote bad daughter to a bad mother. And then the cycle is just going to keep arm key at infinitum until her children are, you know, the devil. <laughs> until quite literally the devil. Yeah. Until you reach the natural conclusion of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, I had a lot of uh, beats on on that too, particularly around grief. It hasn't come out yet, but the last movie that I recorded for Plug It Up was A Dark Song, which also touches on grief in a pretty major way. And I like that this movie shows a lot of sides of grief and how it can, like you said, Maddie, tear a family apart. I also like that it shows that Annie is dealing with grief in ways that some people would consider inappropriate, like when she's doing her miniature of the accident and it's got like her decapitated child in it. And it's like, which it would be traumatizing if Peter were to see it. And I like that the grief, and she even says this in her monologue, it doesn't bring the family together. Like it, it tears them further apart rather than uniting them around any, any one thing. What I love so much about this movie is just how inextricably it links motherhood and grief together like the scene I always think about is uh where Annie is grieving Charlie's death it's like you know the first time we see her because we we don't see her see Charlie's body we hear it the next time we see her on camera she's on her hands and knees she's rocking back and forth crying and her husband's comforting her and it, it looks like she's giving birth like that's the position she's in and it's very reminiscent of like you know, we're let's believe this is probably how Annie looked when she brought her daughter into the world. And now this is looking now that it's the same way she's looking now that she's gone. It's really primal and private. And the two are just so inextricably linked. Maddie, you told me that one time and I was like, what the fuck? Maddie's so smart. <laughs> I didn't think about that. It's such a good point though. And now whenever I watch it, I'm like, yeah, she looks like she's, it looks like she's giving birth and it's, I love that scene and it's really hard to watch the scene, that scene and the scene of her finding Charlie's body. The fact that the camera is just on Alex Wolf's face, but we can hear her wailing. Like I, I don't even know like how you can make those sounds I, come from pretend, your body. Yeah. <laughs> pretending yeah. to make those sounds. I mean, she's, I mean, she's really making them, but like to summon that up, like, ugh. yeah, it's brutal. I love it though. I also wanted to talk a little bit about fate um, because they talk a lot about fate in the movie. I love in movies where there's a classroom scene and the teacher is <laughs> talking about something and I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, does it relate to something else here? And it, like, I would love it to be just like the Pythagorean theorem, <laughs> just like completely <laughs> unrelated. Yeah. Like a French lesson or something like totally. I, but this one is like pretty on the nose, which I, I don't mind because Matt, you were saying like, once you watch this a couple of times, you do sort of see some of the patterns and sort of like hints to where we're going to get, but it takes me a while to pick up on those. Yeah. And this one is really on the nose when it starts like with the, uh, with the classroom, because it's about Hercules and his, uh, his hubris and his inability to notice what is going on around him. And the scene just before that, she had read the letter or the little card, uh, the little uh, letter from her mother that says, this is all part of the plan. Everything's going fine. She literally tells she really tells Annie at the beginning of the movie that, hey, we're just gonna we're just gonna take over your family, but it's great. <laughs> It'll be good. The rewards will pair and compare. 
pale in comparison. But I do like, I was like, yeah, the teacher's like, is it more or less tragic that the characters don't know that they're sort of set up like this? And I was like, (laughs) I just want the camera to like pan over to Ari Aster in the corner, like wink. (laughs) Well, I love that scene too. And Matt, you and I were talking about this because Alex Wolf is just like staring at the girl's butt that's in front of him. And he's just so oblivious. And I love that because he feels like such a real kid. No, I definitely think that's the other the cool thing about Ari Aster is like, obviously we're saying a lot of stuff's on the nose, it's super serious, but there are a few moments that are very like kind of funny and human and touching. And like, I don't know, I, I, I a teenage boy just staring at a chick's ass in front of him during <laughs> classes uh, is very human. It's very real. It's a very mm-hmm. real scene. And it's very, it's like kind of charming that, you know, you have that inner, like, you know, splice yeah. in between all the other really depressing themes that there are in the film films. Yeah. Speaking of human moments, when uh, he's having the panic attack and is with his other teen boyfriends, and it's like, dude, it's just weed. <laughs> he's like, hold my hand. And the guy's like, oh, good Jesus Christ. It's so fucking funny. I love that scene because, like, 100%, like, he's channeling and, like, mirroring a lot of what happened with Charlie. Like, my throat's getting bigger. And, you know, I just, totally. it's so horrific but it's also like those dudes are like you know how that dude calls his girlfriend princess that's so fucking dumb man i'm like you know i know every single one of these dudes <laughs> but with with the fate stuff i i really like it i remember hearing some criticisms when this came out that it's too well forecast but for me it was like maybe i'm just not sharp enough to pick it up on the first time but i i do like knowing like on a second watch we can see that like the cult was always going to get Charlie and Peter because Ellen promised them as such. There was, you know, Joan was always going to run into Annie at the store. She was going to slide that little seance thing through the mail slot. They, you know, the the pole has this uh, seal of payment on it. It's like, I like that kind of stuff because it reinforces a theme that, I don't know, it just, it's helpful for someone like me. (laughs) Yeah. And Ari Aster, he's not, he's not trying to hide what he's doing here. I mean, from like one of the very opening shots uh, where the dollhouse, you know, the miniature transitions into like actual room, like he's telling what he's doing. Uh, From the very beginning, these characters' lives, you know, they're out of control. They're being played with by some unseen force. They're in a dollhouse. He's not, he's not trying to get one around us. (laughs) I think the other thing I, I, about fate that's super interesting is that uh, obviously he's talking about the fate of the characters, but also it's called hereditary. And obviously hereditary is totally about your fate. Like, you know, you're predestined to have these mental diseases. You're predestined to have high cholesterol. You're predestined, you know, between nature and nurture, you repeat a lot of the, the mistakes of your parents and you be, kind of turn into your parents a little bit eventually, no matter what, it's kind of fate. And I think he totally plays with that. I mean, he plays with, yeah, I mean, that, 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 uh, oh, whatever. The next point I was going to make was that, like, these sort of inherited horrors and, like, how they tie back into monstrous motherhood. So, like, Annie inherits mental illness from her mother, but also this, this sort of, like, sacrificial promise of her bloodline. She inherits this curse, really. I, I mean, like I said, I, it doesn't feel like I'm being hit over the head. It doesn't feel ham fisted for me because it's, like, that's the point. You know, I, I'm okay getting yeah. it from multiple angles. Yeah, even the way he shoots scenes kind of shows us because there's like really, there's frequent shots 
where they're kind of framed oddly. So like you'll see the back of something at the beginning of the frame. Like, so you'll see like the back of a TV or someone's shoulder, something that like wouldn't generally be included in the shot. And it really gives the impression that you're standing behind the camera viewing everything in the room, kind of like you would into a dollhouse. Like you're seeing everything from an om- like omniscient point of view. And you just see that everything's out of control because it's out of their hands. Totally. And I think the other thing is that it's interesting about the dollhouse and this kind of goes back to mental health thing, but everything that is happening, especially mental health wise is projected into, into the models in the dollhouse the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it's, you totally can, you know, um, you know, it's kind of like showing versus telling, like he, he doesn't, he doesn't tell a lot in the movie. That's the other thing that's really masterful about him is that he shows a lot instead of like, Oh, she feels like shit. Or I, and obviously going through stuff, going through some stuff. Uh, she is, uh, manifesting all that through her dollhouses. And it's and and the other thing about the dollhouse is that like it's for like an actual project or something. Like she's getting these calls all the time, and she's like, "I hate these people," and she's just so <laughs> angry calling her about the dollhouses. And it's like dollhouses are actually her, like her own like private diary. It's very it's very weird. It's not weird. It's yeah. very interesting. It's cool. Like, yeah, she's a she's a miniature artist, and I guess she's having a show coming up. And but like it's very much reflective of her life. Like there's a hospice scene that she's done for her mom. There's a funeral scene for her mom. There's, you know, there, there's like sort of flashes from her past when she's breastfeeding Charlie. Like it's it is very much a diary. I was gonna say that that was the one thing that like about this movie that like there's a lot of weird stuff, but definitely the weirdest stuff is like. Did you see grandma's boobs? Like, <laughs> she has like a huge honking boob. And it's like really, it's really distracting. It's like, you know, she's breastfeeding Charlie, obviously. And then grandma has like a massive boobie. <laughs> yeah, like in her funeral speech, she'd be like, there's one thing you gotta know about my mom. I like, I literally like, ah! It's like in her funeral speech, it should have been like, there's one thing you gotta know about my mom is we have to be up here honor her big naturals. <laughs> <laughs> I and like one of the most disturbing things for me and we're about to get into scenes and can tease out all of these but the fact that the mom wanted to breastfeed Charlie like is so monstrous in and of itself like we'll talk about how Ellen and Annie are both monstrous mothers in their own ways like we get Ellen just like superseding and being a really weird figure and later we'll talk about Annie saying I never wanted to be your mother to to uh peter which was like the moment in my theater where everyone like collectively like freaked out because that's a horrific (laughs) thing to hear but uh yeah let's talk about some of our our favorite scenes or scenes that uh, i just want to ask one thing i wanted to ask one thing about this is that i thought another thing that was interesting watching it was we talked about the intergenerational stuff and about obviously like there's a lot about motherhood there but I, I obviously I'm a man, so I'm not sure. But I, I sometimes avert, I, I perceive I observe this that sometimes with child rearing, there seems to be that intergenerational competitiveness between like the mother, the 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 daughter, the mother, and the grandmother, and all the generations, um, basically criticizing other each other how they they raise their children. Because obviously, mother is very particular to motherhood, and I felt that very strongly in that scene where you know it's like she wanted to breastfeed Charlie. I mean, I feel like that's the most invasive thing you could do to another mother is like, no, I, I will feed this child. It was, it's, it's really creepy and manipulative and awful. I mean, Ellen sucks. I mean, that's basically <laughs> that Ellen really sucks in this movie. We don't see a lot yeah. of her, but she, yeah. Well, from what we hear from Annie, I mean, that alone, that sort of like, no, I'll breastfeed your baby is like, you know, it's sort of superseding this really tender 
and kind of like Maddie said, like primal, this is like what mothers and babies do, but like for the grandma to sort of step in and get in the middle of that. I mean, that's enough for me to be like, there's something wrong with Ellen. But later we learn all these other things where it's like, oh no, like she was grooming Charlie, not in like a, a sexual assault predator type way, but grooming her to be a vessel for payment. And it's like, she's significantly fucked up. (laughs) Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I didn't pick up on, I picked up on some of them when I was in the theater, but others I picked up on throughout like subsequent watchings, but I love the subtle cult member stuff throughout the movie. So like we get a cult member waving at Charlie outside of the school One of my favorite shots is when Peter, I think he's smoking a bong or something in his room and he's got his window open and he's like blowing the the smoke out the window. We get a perspective of that from outside. And like Maddie said, we're kind of like behind someone's shoulder. We don't really see even the outline of a person, but we see them exhaling into the cold and we can see their breath outside. And it's like, oh, there's someone else out there, but we don't know who it is. And going back, you're like, oh, it's probably one of the cult members. Like those moments are so good. Yeah, something I caught this time I hadn't really noticed before is at the funeral, uh, Charlie sees one of the other cult members anointing Ellen's lips, like with what I'm assuming is like oil. So just like from the very beginning, these were not normal friends. <laughs> no, no, they're like, it's so fun. Like, <laughs> definitely. And I, I also think also something I noticed the second time or whatever time watching was that when you there's like an overhead shot of Charlie walking when she sees like there's a fire out there. I don't. I can't remember exactly what's happening, but there's something very strange happening out in the field. And you see where she's walking. There's a ton of foot traffic, like lots of foot traffic. So obviously you can see that people are walking around their house all the time and are are just there. And I think I also really like it because this, obviously this is not a movie about QAnon, but this is literally kind of like a Republican fever dream made flesh. Like in this movie, like there's a cabal trying to kill us. Like this is totally totally real in this movie and I, I think it's cool because normally i think you see it in rosemary baby but i think normally they don't flesh it out so well this cabal it's like super shadowy and there's only allusions to it in a lot of movies like when you have the cabal as a bad guy but this one really fleshes out and it's really rewarding you know yeah. in its own creepy fucked up way yeah i do want to now that you said i do want to see ari aster's QAnon movie <laughs> i desperately <Yeah>. want that <laughs> oh god that would be I can only imagine like the levels of trauma I'll have after watching that. (laughs) But like even the cult members, one of my favorite things and one that confused me in a good, I think, intentional way when I saw it in the theaters were these really like jarring transitions between day and night in the movie. And it'll like flick, almost like flicking on a light on and off and like flick it on. And there's naked cult members standing outside the house, like the night that everything goes down, there's like an array of naked cult members and it's like and even when they're doing the seance it's nighttime it's the middle of the night but the lighting is such that i'm confused about like where in time and space we are and i like that it's so confusing and kind of disorienting he's so good it's super disorienting yes and i think also uh with uh, the naked uh members and also at the beginning of the movie i i think with i I don't know if i'm stepping on scenes but you know there's almost no jump scares but at the beginning of the movie where there's just the apparition of Ellen just chilling in the corner, it's like, oh, shit, there's Ellen. She's just hanging out. Like, like definitely in this movie, there's um, there's no jump scares, but there's kind of just, oh, there's a dude over there. Or, you know, when, when Annie's in the, uh, in, the, in the ceiling, you know, hovering above, it's just like, oh, there, there's just someone there. It's never a jump scare, but it's 
it's weird. It's like a, a small, I don't know if it's a jump scare, but it's something a little different, but it is similar. I like that too. And I remember in my theater, I think because like I do watch so much horror and I, I was just like so wrapped with this movie. I remember like the scene where it comes up where Peter's waking up from recovering from his nose. And I was like, I know she's somewhere in here. And I was like <laughs> scanning, trying to look. And I was like, <gasps> and you could hear like other people when they registered seeing her up in the corner. Like, I just, I love that. I love that. It's, it's not mm-hmm. like it's something wildly new. We get creatures on in the, you know, on the ceiling in the Babadook. We get it in all kinds of other horror, but I think it's just, it's so unsettling here and mm-hmm. just does it really well. It's not like it's this brand new trope or anything, but he's hitting those beats in a way that when layered with family trauma, it's like, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also, one thing, and this might be, I don't know. I, I just me. I like the mirroring of the sounds. There's a lot of like rapid, mm-hmm. like when the girls are chopping the nuts, the walnuts for that cake in the party. It sounds exactly like when Annie is on the ceiling, like the trap door of the attic and like banging her head against it. There's all this sort of like mm-hmm. rapid, loud, like cacophonous sound. And there's a reason for that when we talk about later when we talk about Paymon, but I really like the sound design here. I think it's really well done. This score in this movie is truly incredible. It's so unnerving to the point, and it, it does such a good job of, of being, you know, background noise, which is what it's meant to be, that at the end when the strings kind of let out and it's more harmonious, like I could feel my body relaxing. <laughs> Even though like this, this horrible thing has happened, like, oh, thank God the music has, has changed. <laughs> Well, I like to listen to horror scores. Maddie, I remember when you and I worked together one time, you were like, what are you listening to? And I showed you and you're like, you are, are, there's something wrong with you. And I was like, yeah, it was the Halloween soundtrack. And this is like May. I mean, to be fair, that soundtrack slaps, but you were like, what is wrong with you? And then I was like, do you want to get some Vietnamese food? And then we were friends. And then we didn't come back on time for work for the rest of forever. Um, yeah, the sound, the score, <laughs> I love listening to horror scores, but this is one that I don't really like listening to out of context because it's scary. <laughs> it gets me still. Yeah, it is. And I was thinking I really liked what Manny said about like, you know, at the end where kind of everything like, uh, like lets up and it's like, you know, uh, Peter, Peter is Paymon. And it just like, and the music changes in such a way it's almost like good for Peter I'm so happy that you know all this tension is done and we're all so happy he's fine he's fine he's just a vessel for Paymon now it's gonna be all right we got to where we needed to be I mean his nose is fucked up yeah I mean she made it happen in her fucked up way yes I also I think this is the movie with the most decapitations I've ever seen <laughs> we get birds. I was gonna say we get the 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 you know Charlie cuts the head off that dead bird. Obviously, Charlie gets you know her yeah. head bonked off. It's the Big Mur- Brother special. Just murked. <laughs> Ellen, uh, when we see her body, it's decapitated up in the attic, and Annie with her saw. Another loud sort of like fast paced rhythmic noise moment there with the sawing, but yeah. like. Yeah, a lot Ooh, of it's rough. That is really, really rough. Her expression, it's very like Saturn devouring his son, just like the knowing horror. It's so <laughs> She's so good. Like that must it makes have me been... nauseous. Like I've yeah. seen this movie a dozen times. And every time, just like the look on her face is what gets me. Yeah, it's intense. It's it's really very, intense. That's what I'm saying. It's very intense. It's just she's like very determined when she's doing it. And it's so unsettling. And then you have just Peter doing the uh just the silent scream and it just it, it really yeah 
everything he hates home in this movie. But you know, obviously, when she cuts her own head off, it. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think I think it's really awesome. But I that's the other thing I I, I don't know want to mention is like I think one of the crazy things that in this movie is they rob or they vandalize uh, Ellen's grave. They take the corpse for their satanic purposes, and uh, Steve, the father, never mentions it to anybody. He's like he's on the phone. He's like, ah, oh, it, it's just uh, it's some billing error or something. And then it's like she never tells any. I mean. The movie is about mostly the other people. Steve's trying to keep everybody together, but Steve also is is certainly far from perfect. And not telling your wife that is <laughs> a pretty 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 bad husbandship. I also like when he was like desecrated. What does that mean? And it's like you fucking know what it means. Steve. Imagine you know. use your imagination, buddy. I love yeah. Gabriel Byrne. Like he was very well cast here. I think like to yeah. be this sort of like disaffected. Like he's a psychiatrist, which I also think makes it doubly psychiatrist. It's like it's funny because he does not like he's very comfortable apparently diagnosing his wife with like you've had a psychotic episode. This is what's happening to you. He works to try to like make things at least tolerable. But like the family dinner scene when he's just trying to like coil like not even coyly. What's the word I'm looking for when he's just like gently trying to make the peace? Yeah, it's like it's very passive. It's his role is so sort of like suburban white dad trying not to get involved in things. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like I have friends that, you know, that scene with the family fighting, specifically with Tony Collette yelling at Peter or at Alex Wolf's character is so intense. I had some friends be like, that's when I had to stop watching the movie because it felt too real. Oh, yeah. I can't believe we haven't talked about that scene before now. The most influential scene. <laughs> I am your mother. <laughs> I, this isn't even a joke. I regularly recite that monologue to my cats. <laughs> when they're being bad. So the, I, like on a personal level, I have been profoundly affected. <laughs> it's so good. The way she like jumps up from the table and like, you can hear the chair, chair fall backwards and you're like, Oh no, like it's about to go it, down. It's, it's a great scene. And just Alex Wolf's like, Oh shit. My mom's really yelling at me. Face is so yeah. good. Yeah. And yeah. she does not I mean, let up. No, it's no. everything. And then, and then it's, and then shortly, is it before or after when she gives her monologue about how she tried to kill him as a child? I mean, that's pretty, in pretty after. rapid succession. These, like all of these, terrible monologues directed at, at peter poor peter in the movie i mean but i i mean it, that that monologue truly is, is is horrific what he says what what she says to to her son i mean i don't know if i've ever heard anything similar in a movie about just like so cutting and so deep to uh to to a child it's yeah. really special and i love when before she also says i can feel you sneering at me it's like <laughs> yeah. jesus christ man like i i don't know i've known some people like that and it's just like i hate i hate that shit it's like i'm not i'm not I'm just listening to you whatever it's like i am now motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, that's for me that's the scariest part of the movie when or at least i guess the most impactful when she's it's we later find out it's a dream but she's telling peter i never wanted to be your mother and then you see them sort of doused in paint thinner and it's not like a bucket like dumps on top of them or anything but you know that they're covered in paint thinner because that was her you know previous sleepwalking incident that was so fucked up like it's really scary and like that is the absolute worst thing i think anyone would want to hear from their parent like i didn't want to be your mother or i tried to you know miscarry like what the fuck 
I, yeah. What he said, what did, he's, he's like, what did you do? He was like, I did everything they told me not to do. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it all, god damn it. <laughs> but I'm glad it didn't I, work. It's just like, oh, stop. You, know, that's, you gotta lead with that. Yeah. You can't, that can't be the afterthought, Annie. I love, I love that scene. And I love that it, I, I am a David Lynch fan, so I do have to have a certain acceptance for like it was all a dream. So, yeah. <laughs> but this is one of the few movies where it doesn't bother me. And I think because the sleepwalking just it's her subconscious like recognizing her fear of being the worst thing a person can be, which is in society, it's a bad mother. <laughs> that fear is just in her subconscious at all times that she has the capacity to turn around and hurt her children, who are, you know, not only the most important thing to her on a personal level, but like what society says is the most important thing about her that she has this in here that she just wants them fucking gone. It's so upsetting. Well, and she says that in the uh, bereavement support group, you know, she's like, I'm scared that I'm blamed and they're like blamed for what? And she's like, all of it, you know, because that's what people do. And her relationship to motherhood here is so fucked. Like, you know, she had this, strange relationship with peter her relationship with charlie was fucked from the beginning because ellen interceded and was like no i'll breastfeed her and that's just fucking crazy it's mm, man it's good <laughs> yeah and i think and and she she definitely never feels like she is a good mother i think you know it's kind of like in this movie ellen is decidedly not a good mother and then uh and then poor annie i mean poor annie she's kind of terrible too but she also she is so filled with doubt about about being a mother and what kind of job is she's doing and and also we see her a lot of times not doing a good job like you know when she's really passive aggressive to Peter she's really passive aggressive to to Charlie she's very domineering she's kind of like withholding and cold but domineering at the same time like a really nasty mix so it's like you know I, I I'm not saying so but it's just really she really does struggle with motherhood at the same time too she has the doubts and she struggles. So it's definitely, you know, it, and that's how I think everybody feels about that shit. So it is, it, it really, it really hits home. Yeah. Caitlin, listening to the monstrous mother episodes of uh, my favorite podcast, Plug It Up, you may have heard of it. Uh, it really made me think about um, just how many horror movies involving motherhood really make it sound, make the point that you give up your identity completely when, when you're mother, whether you want to or not. And we see that motherhood isn't Annie's whole identity. She's an artist. She's a very successful artist. She's having this show come back. And so this everything that happens almost feels like a punishment. Like the universe is trying to punish her for being anything less than the perfect mother, much less yeah. being a bad mother. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's rough. It comes up uh, a couple times and... Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm, I have a fear around motherhood because not that I like myself very much, but like your identity changes like a hundred percent or at least society tells you it does, you know, like you're, you're a mom now. That's like your identity. First, you're a mom, then you're a person. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, I, you know, that's, that's scary to me. Yeah. So when Annie is being like shitty towards Peter, passive aggressive, we're just like, our first instinct is almost to be like, oh, that's, she's being a bad mom. Not like she's, a, she's also a mother grieving. She's going through this horrific event mm-hmm. and just balancing those two things is really difficult for the viewer to do. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Totally. Were there any other scenes I wanted to get to? I have lots of trivia that might bring some stuff up, but were there any other scenes or, or other points? I, I, love, I love Joan. I love Joan. <laughs> I think uh, yeah. Joan is, and I think also when we talk about the cabal, all the cabal is super nice, like normal, like everybody's kind of wearing like these like 40 year old white people clothes. Like it's, they're not hippies. It's just like, 
And Joan is just so nice. And then Joan is just like, I don't know, just like her arc going from like, you know, uh, a grieving grandmother who lost her her children and, and grandchildren. I think that's her story. And then going to basically like black magic, like shaman, like, 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 like that is just like, it's really uh, disconcerting. And she's, she's kind of when you, I think the first time you see it, like you kind of forget about her, but the second and third time is like, wow, like Joan is like a pretty terrifying character too. Like, cause she's like, you know, she's orchestrating all the stuff, the destruction of the family and doing it with a shit eating grin. It's like, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's really good performance by the, by that, uh, by Ann Dowd. Yeah, I have in my notes, like literally written down here, that Anne Dowd should be in every movie. <laughs> She's so good. Like, she, the, the more you watch it, the more sinister she feels because. Like when she's asking things like, how's your relationship with your son? Like when you first see it, it's like, oh, that's nice. She's concerned about the rest of, you know, Annie's family. And it's like, nope, going to put Paymon in there. Like she's got an agenda this whole time. Yeah. And in the the context of her agenda, the line that she get when uh, Annie's trying to pull out of the parking lot after Charlie died, like doesn't want to engage the line that she does to make her say like, my son died. And also (laughs) my grandson drowned. It makes me laugh really hard. Just like throwing (laughs) spaghetti at the wall, trying to make her stop and like bond with it's so fucking funny it's a lot and Tony Collette does so much I mean like even though Joan you know on subsequent rewatches we know that Joan's full of shit in that scene but that's also the scene where we first see Annie say my daughter was killed and like she can see her like that's the first time she said it out loud to herself and she doesn't say mm-hmm. my daughter died she said my mm-hmm. daughter was killed mm-hmm. implying that someone killed her i.e. Peter and it's yes. just like oh it's so loaded it's yeah you can almost see like the ka-ching going on in Joan's eyes when she hears that. <laughs> good, good. I, I just hey, love teacher. it. I just love it. My son died hard eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> also, one thing that like, I don't know, when she's drinking, when Annie's drinking tea at Joan's house, is that like a piece of Ellen's body that's like stuck in her teeth or whatever that she picks out? I want. I was going to ask. I I always forget what that is, and I never. I've always forget that scene. And I don't know what the fuck is happening. Because she's like, it could be ash. It could be ash. I mean, that that, that would make sense. It would be because I think if you actually, if I remember correctly, like you see, like the top part of her body's kind of burnt when you see her in the attic. So it might yeah. be like they they, they uh, incinerated her head and and she put in her tea because Joan Jones. Joan is Joan, so <laughs> Joan that would make stuff. sense being like a desecration of like Holy Communion, like putting the body, mm. like a perverse, like perverse putting the body, like taking in someone Ooh. else's body. I like that. Yeah, yeah. See, this is why I need people who are learned in the ways of religion because I have no <laughs> fucking idea. <laughs> Traumatized Catholics make the best podcast guests. It's a well-known fact. <laughs> Oh, that's so gross, though. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, I know that's not like a tea leaf, but and the more you watch it, you're like, is it the body? <laughs> I didn't pick that up, but it totally it, it all it all fits together now. It's it's mm-hmm. mom's burnt head in the tea. <laughs> oh God, Tony Collette. I wonder if that was like an Earl Grey or like a, <laughs> a Lady Grey, <laughs> Lady, Lady Ellen Grey, Lady Ellen Grey. That's a good one. Go ahead. Oh, I, the only thing, other thing I wanted to mention about this movie that I, I really like is that. I, I have always really enjoyed marijuana and in this movie, I think a lot of times in movies, they portray marijuana in a very kind of happy, relaxing way, but maybe for people who are super like nervous and anxious, like me, like marijuana kind of also has that, like, you know, after, so he smokes weed and then he sees his, 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 um, uh, his, uh, sister or Peter sees Charlie having a, 
obviously, uh, it's asphyxiating. And I just cannot imagine, like, I think everybody who has smoked once or twice in their life has had that where you smoke and then immediately you get something terrible is happening. And it's just like this sure, like sheer rush of panic and terror that only marijuana can make you feel. And, (laughs) and definitely that this movie like captures something I have actually never seen in another movie because weed is always treated so happily in many movies. And I don't know. It's not, (laughs) it's what makes Seth Rogen funny. How could it ever be bad? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) No, they, they do. I like the way they use it here. And like, I like, yeah, because Peter has that freak out scene under the bleachers when, you know, they're smoking and they're, they are having a good time, but he's got trauma, like real fresh trauma. And it's yeah. not going to it's not it's smoking. not a good time. Yeah, <laughs> no, he really shouldn't have been smoking. Yeah. Yeah. This like I, after he uh, hits Charlie's head, uh, she hits her head. <laughs> she just like cut out and it's just like an anti pot. Campaign. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't really smoke and drive. Like <laughs> His acting in that scene, he doesn't have any dialogue there, but you you know what's happened. Like you see the head at the pole. Like you know what's happened. And he stops the car and it's so quiet. And he's like like lip quivering a little bit, eyes welling up, but not like bawling. He's just like in this catatonic sort it, of like shock response. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I mean, I've never killed my sister. Let me go ahead and say that on recording. <laughs> Kenzie, blink twice if you're okay. I've been in like really bad accidents or like hurt myself really badly where there's just the moment like did I just completely fuck up my life did I just completely fuck up and he just plays that so well I'm just like that was a really bad mistake and I cannot believe I did it well and then later in class he's like having a flashback of it where he's just like staring off into the distance and when his eyes glance up it's the rearview mirror again like oh god this boy should not be in school. This boy should be in like an yeah. intensive group. Maybe for a therapist's dad, uh, <laughs> they really didn't want to hook him up with like a colleague or something. <laughs> oh, just gonna lump smoke and his it mom, out. Yeah, and, and and then his mom is terrifying him with seances on the other side. It's like <laughs> Peter really cannot catch a break. Oh, I was just gonna. I think I was gonna mention we never talked about Peter uh, Steve like lighting on fire, which is another kind of. Uh, whatever kind of move, uh, like very memorable moment. Yeah, he straight up ignites, <laughs> like yeah, his, burns to death. Burn his face too when he realizes what's happening. So like, fucking ah, good. Ah. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and they showed that in the trailer. I remember because I watched the trailer like obsessively before this his came out. Face or lighting on fire? They showed someone on fire, but okay. it didn't connect. And t- I mean, like, I didn't. I mean, you don't know who the characters There's are when a you're lot watching going the trailer. On. I- yeah. yeah, I would see how that would go out of your head. And then, like, Peter, like, fully traumatized because he's, A, possessed by Paymon or, like, being sought after by Paymon, killed his sister, fucked up relationship with his mom, comes downstairs, sees his dad's charred body. Like, I was like, what the fuck? He cannot catch a break. Yeah. Peter and the no Peter good, very bad boy. day. <laughs> <laughs> he totally is the whipping boy of this movie. Totally, totally, totally. He did such a good job. Alex Wolf is... I'm just super impressed. He actually, he asked Ari Aster if he could really break his nose during the desk scene. And Ari Aster respectfully declined. He said no. So they used a foam desk so that Alex Wolf could slam his face down into it. But the foam wasn't thick enough. So he actually did end up dislocating his jaw and like severely fucked up his face. Like for real. (laughs) Committed to the bit. Alex Wolf, we appreciate you. Um, he, saw, a lot. he learned he, method acting when he was in the Naked Brothers band. <laughs> oh, I saw something uh, actually recently. I, I wish I had 
remember to look it up before now, but uh, he was actually super traumatized by the world too. He said, he said that after it took him a while to recover and it, it makes sense. Cause I mean, he really gets put through the ringer the whole time. Like, I mean, I mean, he kills his sister, which is, you know, obviously he deserves some punishment for that, but, uh, he does. I remember a video he put on Twitter back when Vine was a thing where he's like, hey, Alex Wolf, obviously not Peter. Uh, he's like, hey, if you see me in the subway, could you not come up and go, I'm fucking sick of it. Thank you. Oh. I was like, oh, dude. Oh, that makes me so sad. He, I, I heard that he like really did go method for it. Like Ari Aster had him and Millie Shapiro go and have lunch together a couple times. And Millie Shapiro was really shy and like didn't say anything. So Alex Wolf, who's still a kid at this point too, you know, taking Millie Shapiro out, trying to bond with her as a sibling. And like, they picked out that orange sweatshirt together. Like Ari Aster had them go pick it out together, like pick out something for Charlie to wear. And he, I think I read that Alex Wolf also had production call him Peter throughout the, like until they wrapped for the day so that he could stay in character. And I was just like, oof, like for such a young actor, like that's, it's a lot for anyone to take on, but especially for, yeah, it's a lot. Shout out Alex Wolf. He actually, he also played son and uh, he and Gabriel Byrne were father and son in another movie as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I did not know before researching, uh, the Charlie decapitation scene is based on a true story. So what happened, um, a man and his friend were both intoxicated and decided to drive home. The passenger wanted to get some air because he was feeling nauseous and the driver swerved where the passenger accidentally hit a telephone pole, just like in the movie, which decapitated him. And the other friend drove home. He was inebriated and he fell asleep and they weren't discovered until the next morning when someone called in, you know, the scene to the police, but he woke up to his friend decapitated like that, which like, oh, fuck me like that's. I actually read that they God. they they got found or he got found out uh, because he, the the guy's sister found saw the body in the car the next day without a head. Oh fuck! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my first car ever was like a little Volkswagen Bug with a convertible roof. And now, watching this movie and hearing the story now, I'm just like, how is my head on my shoulders? <laughs> how, <laughs> how the fuck am I alive? I don't know, man. That's. Mm. Talk about trauma. Trauma. Talk about trauma. (laughs) Uh, The seal of Paimon, which is on the the necklace that um, Ellen has, and the pole is the actual seal of Paimon. I actually, I think it was, Maddie, I was looking for something for you, maybe for your birthday one year, or maybe it was Christmas, and I was looking at hereditary stuff, and I almost got you like something with a seal of Paimon on it, but now I'm kind of glad I didn't, because it is the actual seal of Paimon. (laughs) I almost, for... For Christmas last year, I almost embroidered you a little embroidery with a seal of Paymon. But I, again, I looked up like, oh, that's the real one. I can't do that. That's so fun. Aw. Oh my God. It's like the gift Bonded. of the Magi, but with demonic symbols. <laughs> it tracks for us, though. <laughs> um, so Tony Collette apparently exercised nonstop during the film, uh, like during the filming of the movie. Uh, she had to keep herself out of her own head because everything is super heavy here and just needed to move her body. Oh, one thing that I didn't notice until researching either. So one of the dudes under the bleachers that Peter is smoking with, you know, he's got like a bun and he's one of the cultists in the treehouse at the end. Still what? wearing the bun. Yeah, I didn't know. And I was like, <gasps> I did not notice that. That's so cool. They're recruiting in high schools. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was in mock trial in high school. I could have been in a fucking cult. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I was out here in Spanish honor society. Could have been in a payment cult. <laughs> 
Um, oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, Chase, who's been on the show a couple of times, Chase, friend of, friend, of the, friend of the pod, he got me from A24 a hardcover hereditary script book. So it's got the original script, including the deleted scenes from you know, Ari Aster's script, and it's got some behind the scenes info and some stills from the movie. It's really cool. And the monologue that the, the famous one, the I am your mother is like word for word, how it's written. So she, Ari Aster knew what he wanted and she nailed it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. There are some other like family cool. building moments that I wish we had gotten that, that, you know, got cut eventually, but man, it's on, it's on my occult bookshelf, that little red table <laughs> behind me. So. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Well, we can wrap up the movie and get into the next parts of the of the show. But I, my final thoughts, I just, I really love this one. I know it's really hard for some folks to watch, so I, I don't recommend it to everyone. Usually with horror, I don't give a shit. And I'm like, oh, you should watch it. It's really good. But I know a couple of people that like, it is going to fuck up your day, perhaps your week. So, you know, only watch it if you're in the right headspace to to be able to get through it. But it's it's one of my favorites. <laughs> It's what, you know, drew me to Ari Aster is what really sold me on A24. And I just love it. And I heard that he's, well, we'll get into it. I know that. So his big one was Hereditary, then Midsummer, And now he's working on something else that's not not going to be horror. But he said these other ones weren't horror either. So I'm, I'm still anticipating something really fucked up from him when we can hope. But uh, Maddie, final thoughts on Hereditary? Oh, simply love it. <laughs> that was my favorite movie of the year that it came out. And I, I have to go find my, my fucking Leatherbox account. But I'm pretty sure when everybody was making those like top 50 movies of the decade or whatever, that was my number one or my number two. I love it. Again, I don't, it's hard for me to think of a movie that affected me the more the first time watching it. Like it, it's just such a fantastic movie start to finish. Um, I will be putting out hits on the major motion picture Academy who robbed Tony Collette of her Oscar, but that's <laughs> fine. That's another thing. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite movies. Uh, probably my favorite horror movie ever. Yeah. Matt. Oh, I, I, I think, um, like you guys said, I, I really love it. I think it's one of those movies where you, I saw the trailer and I was just like, I have to see this, uh, in, in Chile movies don't last very long. Like, even really popular movies only get like a few weeks run. And this one was like two or three days. And I was like, I have to see this. This trailer is incredible. I didn't know anything else. And um, it really, it really delivered. Like if you really want to crap your pants, like, I, I mean that, cause that scene with the, with the, uh, I remember or whatever, um, when I watched it, every time I watch it with the uh, paint thinner scene, I really, every hair stands on end on my whole body. And it's like, it sucks the breath out of you. And, not a lot of movies can do that. I, I, I don't know a lot of, yeah. So I think um, definitely I highly recommend it to people who are in a good headspace and, uh, and people who just want to, you can know, you can listen to this podcast and watch and be terrified just yeah. again. So there's no, it, it doesn't matter if you've seen it a million times or one time. It is, it is a tour de force. It really is. It's awesome. And I love movies like that where it doesn't matter like what we say about it. It doesn't matter if you know sort of like, what happens, but watching it happen is a totally different experience than, than hearing about it from us. I mean, like mm-hmm. watching Tony Collette say that to Peter and it's just, you won't forget it. It'll, it'll stick with or you. Watching Tony Collette, Tony Collette, like swimming in the air, like moving, like turning her feet. Like every time you see it, it's like, yeah, 
this is very frightening. I've never seen anybody moved in the air that like that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's the other thing about this movie that I would say is like, I you see a lot of things that maybe you've never seen before in a movie. And it, that that is something special. That is something really special. It is. All around, we are fans. So big time. Shout out. That was Ari a big circle jerk for uh, hereditary, big time. <laughs> I have a feeling, you know, when we get to midsummer, it'll probably be much of the same. Maddie, you'll be on that episode. So <laughs> Maddie and I saw Midsummer together in the theater twice. Yep. <laughs> and whew, we had people walk out I've, of the, the second always, viewing. I've only seen the uh the trailer and I definitely want to see it. But this movie took so much out of me. I was like, I was, I was planning on watching it before this too, but it originally took so much out of me that I was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't bring myself to watch Midsummer. Yeah, you definitely don't want to do a double feature. <laughs> no, yeah. I was going to do that, and it was like I just can't because I watched the trailer and it was like I saw, I saw bears, like yeah, whatever, a bear, whatever that small little clip of a bear thing, and I was like, ah, I can't do that. Also, I had a oh. terrifying trip once, and uh, that movie is all about terrifying trips. No. And I was like, that shit yeah. either. I don't no. Oh, we didn't talk about they fucking killed the dog in like the last. That's like it's just like you think you're done with like the emotional turmoil of the movie. It's just like quick shot. Like nope, dog's dead. Well, it's funny. There are a lot of people where their whole like shtick is like, I don't care if the people die, but I do care if the dog dies, and I totally get that. Like I, I know it's a thing for a lot of horror fans, and this movie like. It doesn't even utilize it in any kind of way. It's not like it's a harbinger of what's come. It's just like, oh, and also we fucking killed your dog. And it's like, what? <laughs> I know. It is truly Ari Aster being like, you stuck around this long? Fuck you. <laughs> Paymon is not a dog lover. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that I, uh, cat person. I, I really need you to see midsummer at some point matt i i will watch it i will watch it even even in the next few days i'll watch it it was just this weekend after watching heredity two times i just didn't have it in me watch it on the plane when you're i'm just kidding don't watch it on the plane you'll get arrested uh, <laughs> i have to i have to wait my wife uh, is about to ride back because she she works in mining so she has these weird shifts so she's going to come back and i can i can watch it next time she's not around because she's she cannot do horror I, I, you'll have to let me know what part you think people walked out of our theater in when you watch it. That'll be your guessing game for what Maddie and I's experience was like. Oh, I can't wait. I'm excited. Well, keep that momentum going. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we'll do some plugs and promos if you guys have anything to share that you're working on or that, Wait, you know, I'm still gonna do the the King Payment trivia. I really, I know it's yeah. not long, but I really want to hear. Okay, yeah, that's okay. my instead of a period sure. fact, that's gonna be my research. I'm fact sorry, I'm sorry. No, I, you're I was like, no, I have oh, to hear. There's no way I'm gonna let that go. I, I was, there was so much like spooky coincidence. I was like, I'm gonna sage the shit out of my <laughs> research area. But yeah, that'll come next. But my bad. Um, my bad. No, you're good, Manny. Is there like uh, <laughs> what? Are you good? I, I get hung up because Maddie and Matt are so similar. Oh, 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 oh I thought you were like. <laughs> I. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I, I didn't even think about you that. interrupting yourself. I thought you. Were, I thought something was deeply wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I thought you were. I was like, is he making like a callback joke to like the the wrist scene? <laughs> oh yeah. No, it was just. It was just like. Uh, she was like Matt, and I hear the first syllable name, and I was like, oh, and I was like, she's talking to a different person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one other person that's in the call. 
<laughs> well, uh, are, are there any places you want people to, to find you on the internet or not find you? That's also totally fine. Anything that you're working on? Uh, I'm on Instagram at MadDolanGV. Uh, I'm working on some scary stuff, but that's way down the pipe. So that's it for now. Oh, and Maddie has also um, gotten me into an RPG. She is our DM for an RPG that we're doing, and she's doing a great yeah. job. <laughs> you can't find it anywhere unless you come to my home. Caitlin is also doing a great job. It's my first awesome. RPG. I was very intimidated, but Maddie is uh, she's doing an awesome job. It's a Monster of the Week style one, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll have to do awesome. a hereditary style. Um, oh, my God. Like one shot or something. <laughs> what? I don't know what that would look like, but now I'm and now I simply must. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really fun though. And uh, I was like super nervous and you guided me with great uh, tenderness. And Aww. I was like, okay, I can do it. Oh, <laughs> as long as you know, as long as you're willing to have fun and not afraid to be silly, you're gonna have a good time. I can do that. <laughs> well, Matt, uh, what would you like to promo? I have nothing to to plug or promo. <laughs> Unless you guys want to take English classes, no, no, I don't think I don't think uh, no, I have nothing to uh, to to promote or plug here. The only thing I was going to say is I have one like devil story about a neighbor who's like invoking Beelzebub and shit. And next to my, I was explaining my very Catholic uh, mother-in-law. I don't know when I, I want to do that story. I don't know if if do when it the now. Time is. You simply must share. You can't tee okay, it up and so, then like leave us with that. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like, I don't know if it's pre-Paymon or pro, yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, so, get us into the mood and then I'll download some uh, yeah, facts. So um, definitely I would say in Chile, Chile is um, a country that is, is I would say is, was very Catholic, but um, now it's not, there's not a lot of church attendance. People aren't that in your face about it, but there is a lot of kind of, um, uh, local religion kind of, you know, like burning herbs, local legends, kind of like spirits are real like that that is very infused into uh into into chilean catholicism so uh one day one night i was in um i live in this area like a very rural area but it's like there's like houses next to each other but kind of on pieces of land and the back there's a there's a back neighbor and we were outside or we were in the house actually and then we heard screaming okay and we we're in a house and like a hundred i would say like a hundred meters away you can hear like like real screaming and i go out there and this guy is like beelzebub beelzebub i invoke you and i was like i was dying laughing i was like this guy is like on shrooms this is great <laughs> that's a skinwalker i was like that guy is having a major trip and i thought it was hilarious and i was like beelzebub beelzebub like and my uh my mother-in-law called the police <laughs> And she uh, and I was trying to and it was very funny and there was a lot of back and forth and and the guy was just like, you know, he would be quiet. And then later he would be like, I'm jumping. If you don't show yourself, devil, I'm going in the pool. And it's like the middle of winter. And this guy is like threatening to throw himself in the pool. And it was kind of, it was kind of scary for that side. But the other part was he was tripping balls and it was pretty hilarious. But but then it was and then a few months later, I saw I saw the legacy of the devil. and. <laughs> and uh yeah i, I swear weird. to god i swear to god you were saying a couple months later i saw beelzebub so i guess it worked <laughs> i was like so oh I, a different person than i thought he was no so i i saw this movie and i was and uh i was i was very in tune that devil worship was very taboo at least in, in these parts and then uh 
a few weeks later, I saw <laughs> this, this, this devil movie. And yeah, it was pretty funny because it was just like, they were like, you, you shouldn't go see that movie. It could be very bad. And I was like, no, it's, it's fine. It's just a movie. And like, but it's about the devil. And it takes they people, uh, some people take it really seriously down here. And it was, I think that was also interesting and eye opening because I think it depends on the people. But if you say Beelzebub or something like that in, uh, in the United States, I don't think it registers with a lot of people. But definitely down here, the they took it really seriously, and I was, I thought it was funny because I'm a culturally insensitive bastard. But still, it's, <laughs> but it's, but it, but it happened. It was pretty funny. Oh, have you seen him since? Has he come back? Um, that um, that house, I they rent it sometimes, and I think some guys rented the house to to be in the country and do shrooms. That is that is my theory. I've never heard from those people again. I never nothing else Excellent. is weird. I can like go upstairs and look into their, their, uh, their yard. I mean, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> and there's literally no one ever there. There's no, like, they, they don't really use that house. Don't go this there. Used, this, this area used to be a vacation area. So, uh, but now it's not cause the lake dried up cause of climate change, which is right. But, um, so, uh, but this was a vacation area. So this area kind of is like weird like that, where you're in an area with lots of houses, but they're not really occupied. And one night there was this dude just invoking the devil and, uh, it was pretty. Fun. It was pretty funny for some and wow. pretty intense for others. Uh, all my neighbors intense. ever do is watch my cats for me. I don't. I don't know why <laughs> I'm missing out on that. It sounds incredible. Uh, yeah, don't go in those houses. <laughs> for, do us a favor. Stay away. Ah, <laughs> uh, they're, they're not going to be back. Well, it's funny back. that you say that about like, and I, I'm sure that we have some of that here, but I feel like Maddie and I are on such like a different spot like maddie and i were like hey do you want to join the satanic temple and we both just like so no if the conversation was at the time do you want to start, start a branch yes. of the satanic TST temple Richmond? Richmond? yeah 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 uh, we haven't ruled it out <laughs> yeah no i have a uh, last podcast shirt that says like hail satan or something on it and i was like do i wear it to thanksgiving <laughs> and then no. i was like no i shouldn't do that <laughs> or should i i did no, get it but i no, it's funny. I still like to do it just to annoy, annoy some people in, in my, in my, uh, in-laws would just be like, Beazel, Beazel, and, you know, and not say the bub or whatever, but <laughs> the rise out like of you fucking Beetlejuice? <laughs> yeah. But, but the Beetlejuice is real in this case, or for, for some people, people are really scared of this shit. Speak for it, yourself. Beetlejuice is real to me. It would scare me if I saw that. I would be like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Any any just person yelling anytime anywhere is enough for me to be like no we're not going to do it. we're not going to deal <laughs> the with hardest this. of passes yes yeah well the, they they called the cops and then the cops uh, didn't actually come so uh, <laughs> it all ended up working out. Uh, it's but, good to uh, know though the, the police guy, are great listen, and listen, the guy never, I was like kind of like but I started listening because I was worried the guy was going to jump in the pool but his friends like I don't know Caitlin you remember Taylor were kind of like. Well, jump in the pool don't do that and they were kind of laughing and like you could hear them drinking beers but one friend was just freaking out but yeah i enjoyed it well i i do have so my my fact of this episode is on paymon so i have some research to share to share with you guys excellent all right so enlighten us i I will, you know, do your, what is this called? Sign of the cross. I don't know what the, the, about the, I don't know. What's his name? Like they always have names like the enlightened one, the the dark one. What is, what is, what is his one? 
He's got so many traits, really. There's, <laughs> we'll get into it. There's a little bit of like a, a Dom sub thing going on with Lucifer. Um, nice. So anyway, the uh, last episode I did was on a dark song and I did some research on the occult, specifically the Abramelin ritual, uh, since that's what's depicted in the movie. And today we're doing something in the same vein and looking at Payman. And I appreciate we talked about how some people probably pronounce it Paimon. They say Payman in the movie, so I'm sticking with that. Um, but Paimon was the entity in the, the cult here in Hereditary. And in the movie, they say he is one of the eight kings of hell. So I wanted to get a little bit more background on what he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. And funnily enough, some of this information comes from the book of Abramelin, which is a spooky coincidence, given that we just looked at the Abramelin ritual last episode. So according to the book of Abramelin, there are four princes of demons. And those are Lucifer, Leviathan, Satan, and Belial. And there are eight sub-princes, and that's where payment falls. So that group includes, I'm going to try to say these correctly, Astaroth, Maggot, Asmodee, Beelzebub, Orions, Araton, Amayon, and of course, Payman. Um, other sources cite Payman. stuck with Maggot? <laughs> I, know. I was like, is it like French, like Mago? But I'm pretty sure it's Maggot. <laughs> uh, it's like Beelzebub the Conqueror and you, Maggot. <laughs> the shitty one. Maggot, the pants pisser. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, other sources, so that the Book of Iron Melon cites him as a sub prince. Um, where other sources cite him as a king of hell, like they say, hereditary, and others call him a duke. He's been referred to as a genie. So there's a lot of sort of like classifications of what he is, but essentially he is a high up guy in demon rankings. So some of his qualities, he is the king of the West, which kind of tracks for the movie because Utah is out West for us. He and is they, the they say, you know, the end part, uh, we, we look towards the Northwest to receive you. Oh, I didn't catch that. He often rides a camel, or that's how he's depicted. He is preceded by loud crashing music, particularly trumpets, uh, which is cool. We talked about how in the movie, uh, when they're crowning Payman in Peter's body, there's a lot of like cacophonous music going on. So that's cool that they, they picked up on that. He has masculine pronouns and prefers a masculine host, which we also see in the movie. I think we see that in the, the book that Ellen has, as well as, you know, Jen sort of confirms that later on. He wears a crown, which he definitely does in the movie. He is extremely obedient to Lucifer, which is where I said he has this sort of like dumb sub relationship. But like everything about him is that he's very obedient, which I was like, all right. Um, Whatever you're into, buddy. Yeah, you do you, Paymon. <laughs> hey, has, Caitlin, that's all good. That's all good. But I, I really want to know what maggot gets to ride. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a whole section on maggot and his his his. <laughs> this is the the three eight three hour edition of the the podcast. Is going to feature ma- a deep dive into maggot. Deep dive into maggot. maggot deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> Poor maggot. I hope he's like the, you know, redheaded stepchild and they were just like a fucking maggot. He's like, I'm a prince of hell, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely sensing buck teeth and red hair. (laughs) Poor little Maggie. (laughs) Let's see. Paymon has a horse. 
Okay, I'm gonna go with like that's how he introduces himself to other people. Mago. They call me Mago. And all the others like fucking I'm a serious person. (laughs) Or sub demon prince. Paimon has a hoarse voice and speaks very plainly. He has knowledge of all arts as well as of science, especially regarding the earth, waters, and winds. He also must tell the truth, so he seems to represent knowledge in a lot of ways. The familiars he grants are also knowledgeable and good at teaching. So in general, he's really good at assigning familiars and shedding knowledge. He has command over fish and can remain underwater. We love a Pisces king. (laughs) He can make spirits appear and can also reanimate the dead. And he's said to have knowledge of past and future events. So Paimon is mentioned in a few horror movies, most notably here in Hereditary, since he's like the main entity worshipped. Um, he's also featured in 1984's Ghoulies, 2010's The Last Exorcism, which we covered here on the show, and 2014's Last Shift. And Paimon is also a playable character in a game called Genshin Impact, which I don't know what that is, but I guess if you're into, if you want to role play. A weeboo, a weeboo kind of thing. One of those guys who like the pillows, or like the body pillows with Japanese chicks. It's like in that area. Caitlin, I do like. I, I just want to about... offend all your listeners who like who like Genshin. I just want to offend them just in general. So. <laughs> I don't know. Caitlin, I do like that you talked about good familiars, and my cat Squid just like appeared behind me. <laughs> Squid is a beautiful, beautiful kitty. We've all got. Uh, We've got a black cat on Maddie's background. We've got a black doggy in Matt's background. My cat Hocus is black somewhere around here. We've got our familiars just hanging, hanging back. <laughs> Thanks, Payman. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's sort of a preliminary look at Payman. And I have um, The Greater and Lesser Keys of Solomon are another book that I guess are a deep dive into demonology and that part of the occult and i have that on my occult bookcase over here too um haven't gotten a chance to dig too deep into it yet but probably best that i shouldn't i know that maddie is doing uh, a deep dive on some demonology as well i uh maddie and i have both been like researching demons before bed like all yeah, the hot all the hot normal. babes do <laughs> <laughs> really good for you guys yeah hot girl summaries about like embracing your power hot girl falls about reading about demonology yeah and i'm like Mm -hmm. okay night night (laughs) (laughs) uh as always you can find us at plug it up pod on instagram and twitter and you can send any stories questions to plug it up pod at gmail um any paymon or maggot stuff that you have to share i'd love to know Uh, maybe specify what what maggot things you want because I think that's opening up your inbox with some truly horrific shit. Yeah, I will. Yeah, we'll put some parameters on that. Only ma- mago maggots, a demon stuff. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Matt, it was so good to to have you here, and I look forward it was to a having you back Thank on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you and- for having me. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. It's been great. And Maddie, um, you'll be back certainly for midsummer and I have you on for, for plenty of others coming up as well. So I love doing this. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you guys very much. And it was a blast. It blasted my head right off. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I know you, you should cut that. I'm just joking. You can do what you You, want. You simply can't. I couldn't help it though. (laughs) It has to stay in. It's definitely staying in. (laughs) Yeah.
<laughs> you said I you said I could I could cut stuff if I wanted, but you're you're reneging. I did. Well, I mean, Life I hit the executive, <laughs> the executive the executive power. The puns are all free game. Yeah, if you make a good joke, it's it's gonna stay in. Yeah. <laughs> or a bad joke. <laughs> or a bad joke. <laughs> not a that that was not a good joke, Caitlin. <laughs> it was a good bad joke. <laughs> I liked it. Well, thank you guys and uh spooky bleeding. Bye. All right. Bye. Take care. Plug It Up was created, hosted, researched, and executive produced by me, Caitlin Grant. Creative support, audio engineering, and post-production were provided by Eric Newell. Creative support and thematic direction were provided by Elizabeth Kyle. The Plug It Up theme song was written and performed by Elizabeth Kyle and produced and mixed by Eric Newell. Art design, including the logo, is by Darren Heinerman. And I want to give special thanks to John Schnars and the Bloody Good Horror crew. I'd also like to give thanks to the guests, my family, and friends for their support and encouragement. Plug It Up is a Bloody Good Horror production.